Behavior Grooms Podcast. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We interview interesting people in order to unlock insights into behavioral science and how we can apply those to work and life. In this episode, we talked with Cal Turnbull, founder of the Change My View community on Reddit that has over a half a million subscribers. For those of you who don't know, Change My View is a forum where participants post a topic or viewpoint with the purpose of understanding the opposing viewpoints that they can get. Users submit posts containing an opinion of theirs, and respondents attempt to change the poster's view on that matter. Wired Magazine ran a story highlighting this group and called it our best hope for civil discourse online. Yeah, Elon Musk even called Change My View the most civil place on the web. Uh, You know what else is amazing, Kurt? No. Cal was only 17 when he founded the forum. (laughs) That's pretty cool. And it makes me wonder what the hell I was doing when I was 17. Yeah, what the hell were you doing when you were 17? (laughs) Pretty sure I wasn't changing the world. That's that's for sure. Well, in our conversation, we covered a lot of ground from fisking. Uh, no, it's not dirty, but you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out uh, to uh, to why he started Change My View and some of his thoughts on what the most effective ways that he sees people changing their views. It's really really interesting stuff. Yeah, and I loved his quote from his granddad again. You're going to have to listen to the conversation to hear the full thing, but it just might change your view on how you think about first judgments and facts and figures. Absolutely. Well, of course, we talked about music and we had a lot of fun. We heard from what Cal's reading now. It was pretty. It was, pretty, it was a really good conversation. Yeah. So listen up and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Behavior Grooves as much as we did. Cal Turnbull. Welcome to the Behavioral Groups Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and thank you for having me. <laughs> we are excited. Um, yeah. This is a, a treat for us as we're uh, talking with somebody who's actually going out and changing the world. And uh, that's what we like to think we're helping people do, but you're actually doing it. So <laughs> we're excited here. We really uh, are. Very flattering. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we'd like to get uh, our brains limbered up a little bit with um, with a speed round. Uh, so if uh, if that's okay, we're just going to zip through a couple of uh, speed questions here. Um, okay. Monet or Michelangelo? Oh, Michelangelo. Dog or cat? Dog. Dog. Bicycle right. or unicycle? Bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> Fisking, good or bad? Depends. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, if I had to choose, I think you're gonna. No, well, actually, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, so I think we need to. I think uh, a little explanation for the listeners about what fisking is, and then we can talk a little bit more about why sometimes it might be good and sometimes why not. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, fisking is something that. I learned about recently, um, and it was brought to my attention uh, by, a, by a post in the subreddit, Change My View. And, and basically, it's a method of dissecting someone's argument, responding to it point by point. And, and it's, sl- it's a slang term named after uh, a British journalist, Robert Fisk. And, and basically, it, the reason why I said it depends is because I, I believe it, it, it has its use. It's it's very good at uh, it's very good for when you you want to make sure you're not getting someone wrong you're not mm-hmm. putting words in their mouth and and so you're taking a, a whole 
a comment or blog post or, or article or something and you're responding point by point and, and you're basically saying this is what i've read and this is how i'm responding however i do think as as the user uh, who wrote that blog post on changemyview.net and also their cmv post as they pointed out i think sometimes it can get a bit lost and, and you end up getting down this rabbit hole of point to point, point to point, and you're not having a conversation. You're not actually talking to each other um, on, on a human level. So yeah, their question was, should I take a, a more narrative approach, you know, um, actually talk to them? And, and, and I guess the conclusion was it depends. Yeah. And uh, it, to, to that point, I read that blog post. I thought it was fascinating. So anybody who, is listening to this, I, I urge you to go out and uh, look that up because it was really well done. And, and there's that emotional level of the narrative that I think disappears when you start fisking, right? Because then yeah. it becomes point by point counter argument and you're getting down into the weeds of semantics as opposed to what's the underlying components there. So Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of, you know, in, in that sense goes against the very nature of change my view which is about conversation etc and and actually trying to understand and talk to people so yeah so how did you found change my view what was the catalyst for for creating it yeah so i i've been asked this quite a few times as you can imagine and sometimes um it's it can be quite tricky to to get it across and so the kind of long form nature of this is is nice because it it's a mixture of things really and um it all kind of came came about in in one night and and built up into this kind of uh just moment of wanting to find it and i couldn't find it so i made it but the the actual <laughs> motivation yeah. so I, I think that's probably quite common for for when things are made really you try yeah. To find it. yeah um but yeah it was a mixture of things so one of them was that i was preparing to go off to university so and, and, and that kind of brings about a reflective kind of uh, mood where I was thinking across my past and friends and family and, and how really in, in, our, in our own little bubble, you know, in a, in a small Scottish town, we all really in the grand scheme of things think quite similarly. Mm. Um, and, and, I, and with that, I was thinking I'm going off to university in, in a city and meeting new people and of different backgrounds and cultures. And I was... And so I was aware of this like kind of change that was about to happen and, and with and, and of the conversations that might come about. Um, also, I was kind of thinking there was a couple of views that were just really insignificant. And, and honestly, I can't remember them now, but I was kind of thinking, oh, it would be, it would be nice to maybe hear other sides of this. Uh, mm -hmm. Where do I go for that? Um, and also uh, another element, which I don't, tend to talk about so much um i've kind of skirted around i guess is is uh let's put it this way my father wasn't the best at hearing other people mm. right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah sounds, we we, we know there are there are very many people out there in the world that sometimes are really dig into their viewpoint so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and and so all of this together kind of made me think where do you go when you have a view that either you want changed because there are views that perhaps people don't want to have or you're interested in seeing if it can be changed 
and I, and I really struggled to, to think where you could go if you can't do it in real life. And not everyone yeah. has, the, has the luxury to do this in real life. Um, and maybe they just don't know anybody or, or the, the people around them aren't good for it. So, and, and as I started looking into it, the typical social media just didn't, it just didn't work, I don't think. So Reddit kind of came to my mind. And so that's where I went looking. But you didn't find anything, so you created it. Yes. So uh, I, I guess anyone who's familiar with Reddit will know that if you, if you want to find a subreddit, you just type it in the search bar. So reddit.com slash r slash something, um, which is easy for, for many hobbies and things, you know, interests. You, you can just type it in, kind of guess, and, and you'll probably find it. For this idea, it was a bit more complicated what it would be called. Uh, okay. I wasn't totally sure. And, and my, my instinct was to type in change my mind, oh. uh, which was taken. Yeah. But it was taken by one of the thousands and thousands of what we call dead subreddits. So no subscribers and no active moderators. And so I had to think of a different name. And that's when change my view came, came to my mind. And, I, and it, wasn't, it wasn't there, so I made it. Uh, and, and I often say to people now that in hindsight, I'm so glad that changed my mind wasn't available yes um and and it's become actually vital to the to the underlying philosophy that we treat these things as views just the way we see things as opposed to our own minds and identities yeah i think that's a really good uh differentiation point there because you're really looking at this as the viewpoints that you're doing so you started this how many years ago and it's taken off um, yeah. how, so what do you attribute that, uh, success to? I mean, it's I'm sure you've gotten this question a ton as well. So, um, well, you know, part of it was due to the free time I had at school. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Great. You know, I, I, I basically, the, the, when I made it, I already had my grades and my, my uh, offers to, for uni. So I was kind of just waiting. Okay. Uh, and and so I had a lot of free time, but I do think that it was also just this kind of obsessiveness to make it work because I really felt it was needed. So it was a mixture of those two things. Everything just aligned very well for me in, in that uh, in that first year of change my view, which is probably the most important year for a subreddit because um, I, I always think of it as as like a snowball you're rolling towards the edge of a hill. Uh, eventually picks up and takes off by itself but you really have to push it for a long time and if you stop then it will just die any any form of a community that you're building will just die off so uh after that initial period of plugging it around reddit and and trying to um get people to to take part i would say the thing that's just made it grow and grow is is the recognition from other people of the benefit of this type of space and and the severe lack of it elsewhere mm. and so you know past that initial phase obviously we've got a team of moderators that work very hard to, to maintain the quality but i do think that to some extent is it's out of our hands in terms of um the the attraction well elon musk has called change my view the most civil place on the web that's that's a that sounds like a pretty good endorsement. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and you know, if you read that that tweet, um, there there's an element of it that's perhaps a bit critical too, because 
I believe it says that um, if if only more people who actually should change their minds would use it or something like like that. And uh, yes. and yeah, that that's true. There there is an element of change. My view is I I agree with them essentially, though of course for what it is, you know, maybe there's probably more civil places that are uh, less kind of you know they're not talking about big political issues but for what it is i agree and um but to his actual point that uh, it, perhaps it's not always used by people who who need it well you know that that's that's fair but we all we claim to be is a service for people who need it you right know? well and i think to to the point one of the probably values of this is that the people who are searching it out are people who are open to that component right uh, of being having a view challenged and examined in more detail you know as, as we all know people who aren't there right and so it, it's not going to work on them even if you did offer it up to them because they're going to be you know iron classed in their views yeah exactly you, you couldn't force someone to use change my view yeah so what what are the big uh when you look at, at the overall arc of, of Change My View, are there more common topics than others? And, and what are those? What are the most common people who are willing to come in and say, I'm willing to have my view changed on this? Yeah, t topics come and go. Uh, I'd okay. say that Change My View definitely reflects the kind of hot topics of the world. So at the moment, we are going through uh, a, a gun reform uh, and gun issue phase. Of course, we we went through uh, just a general Donald Trump election phase for a long time <laughs> in 2016, um, and and before that, there was no none that really stood out to me as like phases uh, as such. But just whenever there's an event or something of some kind, uh, it tends to come up in the subreddit. It's it's a tr it's a tricky question though to to uh, to answer in terms of you know, what are people most willing to have their views changed about, et cetera. It, it's, it's just because we, we take so many views of, of, of a different nature that it's, it's a hard question to answer. Because we also, we like to put across the idea that we aren't a political subreddit um, by design. We are for any views of, of any kind. So, you know, you can talk about your opinion on, on a movie you saw or something. You know, it doesn't have to be these, these deeply political issues. Uh, but, of course, you can't avoid them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I noticed there's uh, there was one on uh, you know I I'm not a fan of of abstract art. So can you convince me that abstract art is a good thing? And, you know, yeah. yeah. So there, yeah, there's that sounds quite tricky on the surface, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Picasso or uh, Michelangelo, and there you would go. So. Um, so Cal, in your experience, are there certain factors that you see are more effective in getting people to change their view? I mean, when, when you see these happening and you get the delta that comes up, are there, are, are there things that people are doing more effectively than others, in other words, when they're responding to these questions? Yeah, I, I, I'd say so. And we've had a few research papers on this that kind of back it up a little bit too. So for a while, this was just on my gut feeling, but it's nice to see that it's been somewhat uh, affirmed. Um, I'd say it, it can be quite basic as just the general tone of your approach, okay. whether you're treating the, the chance to change someone's view as, as a chance to try and connect with that person as opposed to uh, try and shame them. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think 
a lot of people have this habit of aggression um, or appealing to the crowd or whoever might be listening instead of trying to connect. So it's very basic, but I do see that the people who succeed the most are the, are the ones that kind of put everything else aside and just, you know, get down to it, you know, I, I try and try and pick it apart in, in a dispassionate way, I'd say. Uh, but of course, I, I, there are times where passion can help. I, I, it's, it's kind of, it's hard to generalize these things. Okay. Uh, but, but also just actually asking questions as opposed to just jumping straight in with, with facts and data and references and all sorts of things. So something you'll, you'll hear quite a lot about is the backfire effect. And yeah. quite often people try and use this backfire effect in a way to kind of uh, sl- not slander, but argue against uh, the usefulness of change my view because they hear about this thing where, well, when you show someone good evidence, they're more likely to double down. So through that, aren't you kind of fighting a losing battle? Well, I'd say that there's a, there's a distinction to be made in in the backfire effect, and that is that put, pay, essentially copy pasting a wall of resources isn't talking to somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that's that's just my opinion on why that doesn't always work is that you're you're not actually connecting to them you're not appealing to maybe some of their nature you're just treating them as as an object like any other person who might think the same thing and you're throwing stuff at them. Yeah. So you 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 said asking questions are are those questions around understanding why people are holding that view or is it more around clarifying the the pieces that they're trying to. The, the concept that that's going on that i don't know if that's a very clear distinction yeah so clarifying questions are important um for sure so just making sure you understand what they're saying but the the kind of general socratic method of getting them to to answer questions relating to the to the view mm. from what i've seen can actually um lead to a view change purely through questioning oh okay it's not something i've I've been able to do successfully, but the ones that do it the best just purely through questioning can lead to contradictory answers that open up their eyes on their own. Yeah. And, um, and I, from what I've seen, this can be like a really nice way of changing someone's view because they feel part of it. They feel like they've done it themselves mm. through, through recognizing their own contradictions. What do you think is the connection between changing someone's view and changing someone's behavior? Yeah, so absolutely views can lead to behavior. So the way you see things can can affect how you treat other people or behave in the world. However, that kind of, to some extent, contradicts what we are trying to say to people, and that is that views aren't who you are. Um, so try, try to detach from them, et cetera. Views can become who you are, of course, if you let them take over your, your life. Um, and And so just... I guess my answer is views and behavior are related if you allow it to take over. I, I, I do see people on the subreddit who they kind of confess to having views and I don't believe they necessarily let it affect them. They just happen to think that way. Mm. If you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, so you're well read. What, uh, what are the authors or thought leaders that have influenced you the most? Hmm. So this is, this is an interesting question because I've found myself in this 
position, um, not as someone who is particularly skilled or knowledgeable about any of these things. I, I uh, just felt like there was, a, there was a severe lack of good quality conversation, etc. And I went off to uni to study civil engineering. And so now I'm kind of thinking, my interests all along have been elsewhere. And so I've realized I'm gonna, I have to start reading a bit more. And I'm currently uh, in the middle of The Righteous Mind uh, by Jonathan Hyde. Oh, uh, excellent. Which is a good book from what I can see. I've not finished it yet. But in terms of thought leaders and et cetera, that, that might have influenced me, well, again, it's, it's, it's a tricky question because I, I don't have a, a really particularly good answer for that. But um, I, I do admit that some aspects of Joe Rogan have appealed to me recently. I think he's a very open-minded person that has a lot of... Uh, um, a, a wide range of guests from different backgrounds. And he, he sh I haven't delved too far into his videos, but he strikes me as someone who thinks a lot and, and I appreciate any, any kind of cases of that today. Another example might be um, R Russell Brand, although you, with a pinch of salt. <laughs> <laughs> I am unfamiliar with Russell Brown. Who is, who is Russell Brown? Russell Brand, oh, yeah, actor, activist, uh, character. I mean, I, I think I just, uh, I'm not saying I, I necessarily align with these people in particular ways. It's just I appreciate their way of thinking and talking and yeah. all sorts. And I, I think that they, they are kind of, to some extent, what we're about uh, yeah. and, and their openness. Well, I, I, I will tell you just in the, the little bit of Joe Rogan that I've seen, I, I remember one specific issue in one of his podcasts where he was presented with evidence that was counter to what his belief had been prior. And he literally changed his view on air as oh, really? he was going around. He wow. said, yeah. you know, I used to think this, but it doesn't seem like that's right. And so I need to, yeah. you know, and he said he was going to investigate it more, but that's cool. that type of, mindset i think is what i'm hearing you're you're appreciating and, and kind of wanting to to replicate as a big influence to you yeah yeah and, and and a security in yourself to to not be ashamed of being wrong as well yeah. and to not see it as a defeat which i think joe rogan you know he has that about him he doesn't see these things as defeats he sees them as uh, chances to learn and to lose a bit of ignorance yeah. so uh, John yeah, it, is, is very much the same way. I mean, he he acknowledged that when he started writing the book, he considered himself a very, very liberal guy. And that as he spent more time looking at how, uh, looking at the differences and the similarities between, the, especially the way sort of right-leaning and left-leaning people uh, act and how they express themselves and, and, the, and the things that they hold dear, he started to move more uh, to the right. Uh, mm. as, as he, as he continued to write the book. And it, it was, it was the first time I'd read, um, that, that was an important book in, in, in my own journey, uh, Cal, because, because that was the first time that uh, an author really introduced really academic and clinical, uh, approaches to the way that we think, uh, that wasn't all full of, you know, uh, passion and hyperbole and, you know, exaggeration. It was really, just very focused. I, I think it's a, I think uh, I'd recommend it to anybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting more into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hope you enjoy it. I hope yeah. you enjoy it. 
It's, it's interesting how you're talking. Um, I've done some work on self-identity and self-schemas and various different things. And so the, the interesting part about that is that oftentimes we as humans, when we face, you know, that we have an identity about who we are, the beliefs that we hold, our values, you know, uh, all those viewpoints that we have, uh, and that forms this the picture in our head of who we are. And, and when we get disconfirming evidence, right? So I'm an active guy going out and, you know, I'm exercising, you know, I, I'm a big exercise, uh, you know, athlete. But then I keep realizing, yeah, I come home from work and I sit on the couch every night and I'm, you know, that, you know, I'm not out running, I'm not going to the gym, I'm not doing that. And there's, you know, oftentimes we either discount that information, but put it aside somehow where we say, all right, well, that's just, uh, it's just this last couple of weeks, I've been under too much stress, or yeah, it's been too cold out. You're making excuses for why you're not doing it. And it's really hard for people to face the fact that maybe I'm not as athletic as I think I am, and I might need to actually yeah. change my viewpoint on, my, on who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't know if there was a question in there. But. Well, uh, what, what, I, what, what, what I wonder is, what is it that gets people who, what gets people to be willing to change their view on right. yeah. Brexit or Donald Trump or um, guns or anything like that? Do you have any insights into what gets people to be willing to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, and to go back to that, that earlier point you were making about kind of ignoring things, I, I find that was very relevant to um, our, our Delta system, actually, mm. first of all, because it, it comes from a place, it came from a conversation I had with another moderator who was, he was talking about this idea that we're very bad at remembering we were wrong about something. So we absorb, we absorb a view change and, and carry on as if we've always been right. Yes. And, yeah. and so the delta exists to, to force us to acknowledge that change. Um, and the act of giving a delta is kind of sticks in the mind a bit more. And also you get your own delta history as well. So you can look back at the times where you were wrong. Uh, so, so I just thought that was, that was interesting and relevant, but, but what gets people to change their views? Well, I mean, that's the, that's the huge question, isn't it? That's, the, <laughs> that's what it's all about. I mean, I think it, uh, it, it depends on the person. So whether you're, you're appealing to their experiences and th- their own biases, you can actually maybe frame something in a way that they didn't realize was aligned with them. Mm. You can actually turn it back on them. Uh, but but also, I do believe there are people out there who will change their views uh, when presented with evidence. Those people do exist, I think. Um, in, in fact, it, that reminds me of, I recently came across a, a quote that my granddad showed me, and it, I thought it was uh, very relevant. And it was the idea that um, one begins with a judgment and ends with a judgment. And the purpose of facts and figures is to come in between and make the one you end with more accurate. Oh. And, and this, yeah, so this oh. is an idea that I think is getting lost. I think people are getting stuck on their first judgment. Yes. They're not, they're not interested in, in, in acknowledging that that first judgment is just, you know, a kind of preliminary view on what's happening. You know, it, it's not, it's not the final idea. Um, so that's not, uh, that's not coming through very well today. I don't think, uh, but I do think those people exist. So credit to them. 
uh, other people, I think they just need experiences. They just need to be thrown into an experience that changes their view. I mean, they just can't, uh, they can't help but acknowledge they were wrong. So maybe an example of that would be, you know, you hear about these ex-KKK members, et cetera. They've been kind of forced through, through their experiences of meeting certain people to just change their ways. You know, you might not have been able to talk them out of it on an online forum, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I can't imagine uh, some of that. Well, and, and there was a, a and I can't remember if it was Adam Grant or somebody else, but was just talking to your point about the judgment and then, you know, starting with the judgment and ending and the, the, the rule of facts and, image. you know, data to, to make that last judgment better. Uh, but they were saying too often we get stuck on our, the first idea that pops in our head, the first belief that we hold. And because of the way that our mind works, we tend to try to make you know, that confirmation bias of, all right, so everything that comes in that, that now agrees with that, I, 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 I will take in versus, you know, the disconfirming evidence. I, I kind of either ignore or discount in some way. And in reality, that first one is usually not the best by any means. And then the research has shown that when they're just given, you know, doing different things, I have to look that up and we can put it in the post. So. Much like, much like in, in brainstorming, I, I, I seem to be running into all sorts of, of um, things that are confirming uh, a, a, a new view uh, that I have on brainstorming. And that is more is better. That the, the first idea that you have is almost never going to be the best. Yeah. It just, it just can't. So why mm. would we think the same of our opinions? Yeah. That, we just come to an opinion quickly and easily. It, it's probably not the best articulate. It's probably not the best view that it can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think another thing that perhaps we're forgetting is that we don't always need to have a view on things. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. a radical thought, Cal. <laughs> I, I, I do find myself sometimes like just, I, I like to make a habit of acknowledging when, you know, I don't have a view on this. I don't need to have a view on this because I, I think perhaps people, sometimes they just get too caught up in always needing to say something about something. So, yeah. um, you know, perhaps you're not in a position to, to be the one that this is important to or this is relevant to talk about with, you know. So, of course, there are global issues that everyone should have opinions on too. So, yeah. Uh, I'd like to, uh, if, if it's okay with Kurt, I'd like to, to, to change a little bit because you're a musician and, uh, and this is the Behavioral Grooves podcast. Yeah. So we, we, we do like to talk a little about, a bit about music. Tim likes to talk a lot about I, music. Okay. But, but let's just get this right. I like music. I'm just you not do. as, that's not the passion. I'm, maybe I should go out to, you know, change my view and, and put a question out there about how, how can I, you know, work with my partner here who's so passionate about this. I need to get more passionate. So, Cal, Cal tell me what, uh, what, what kind of recent music projects are you working on? Yeah, so uh, I've, I've got a, a kind of project slash band type thing. I mean, it's, it's, it is just me and a friend, really. And, um, and, and he, he doesn't like to perform so much. So it is a recording project at the moment, and, and it's called The Zenins. And basically, I, I've got my own home studio uh and and just recording it and i released an ep last summer oh. uh self-recorded and and i'm currently in in pre-production and and working towards another ep at the moment um it's just something i really like doing the recording process i find most of all 
I, I have played gigs and, and, and a couple of uh, festival in the past and that is like a kind of separate experience to the experience of recording so they're, they're like different things to me yeah. um yeah and i'm really just in, in, what in, in, in what way are they different i mean how does that how would you describe that yeah so i, I the the performing side of of things the playing to to a crowd is is like uh is like a human kind of interaction type thing and you're getting lost in the music together kind of thing whereas recording is like creating it's like fine-tuning and, and, and getting lost in that uh, adding everything together and, and I do recognize now that there are some parallels between my music recording and what changed my view was at the start I, I do kind of I like projects I like getting stuck in and, and tweaking and trying to make things grow and work etc so i can see kind of the parallel there now um yeah. <laughs> yeah that that is pretty great uh and and what about writing i mean that's that's you know the the preamble to the recording and the performance yeah I, and and when i said recording i guess I, I was kind of throwing that all all together because i yeah i agree the the writing and is a huge hugely important part and and that that part of things I kind of tend to it comes in it comes in phases it's, it's kind of weird I my writing tends to be when when perhaps I'm going through a tougher time and actually when things are going really well and smooth I, I'm not as inspired mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is funny and kind of frustrating uh, <laughs> well, but you 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 come from a you know a, a part of the world where there's a lot of poets that that did really really well focusing on their sorrows <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so i I'm, I'm trying to get back into that writing spirit just now so yeah it, it i mean it's a challenge right it, it it really is a challenge to uh to go from from uh an idea into something that is crafted and and ready to record um and uh if you if you've got a home studio i can imagine you're you're, you're and as you said you're tweaking along the way so mm-hmm. the creative process doesn't end when you say okay I, the song is written now the recording process is an additional element of expression of what the song is i think it's, it's very cool yeah yeah like, you know you can get a bit lost in it sometimes and it can it can drive you a bit mad if you let it but. <laughs> Uh, we like to uh, we like to ask our our guests what what their theme song is. What, uh, okay, yeah. So theme song. I guess this question you could confuse it for being favorite song sometimes, which isn't necessarily the same thing, is it? Yeah, that's so, very true, and I think right. there's a di- distinction that people make when we we do this. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. and and if I was to to answer the favorite song, I, I might say something like uh, Ooh La La by The Faces. Yeah, okay. But yeah. in terms of theme song relevant to, to all of this, um, I, I would probably have to go for something a bit, uh, a bit obvious and, and say, what's so funny about Peace, Love and Understanding Well by <laughs> Elvis Costello. And <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> oh, what are my favorites? <laughs> yeah, that, well, and Elvis is tremendous. He's a great songwriter. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, fantastic. Cal, thank you. Um, we appreciate your time. We appreciate the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really does have an impact, I think, on what, half over half a million like, yeah. subscribers? Is that yeah. uh, you... 520,000 at the moment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Yes. Yeah. So, congratulations on that. And uh, 
really, I think uh, you should be very proud and, and thankful. Uh, we're very thankful for having uh, you taking the time to be with us. So. Uh, absolutely. No, thank you for having me on. It's been very interesting. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our behavioral groups interview, have a free-flowing discussion on some of those topics, and whatever else comes into our heads, which for Tim is usually music. Hell yes. <laughs> so, Kurt, what about Cal's granddad's comment? I like how you said it with the proper Scottish accent, which I'm, I cannot I'm do, so I won't do. even try. Yeah. I won't even try. I'd, I'd end up saying it with a southern granddad southern <laughs> yeah, well, accent. That which, works, too. No, yeah. I, I should try to stay away from accents. Yes, I loved it. So uh, one begins with a judgment and ends with a judgment. And the purpose of facts and figures is to come in between and make the one you end with more accurate. Yeah, that's fabulous, isn't it? It, it a, it's just a beautiful quote. Um, B, I love that Cal took it to the spot and he talked about how we tend to hold on to our first judgments much stronger and more than we really should. Yeah, uh, it, gets, it gets back to a discussion we had with uh, James Heyman about brainstorming, where uh, James says, what, what's the, if, if, of all the ideas that could be sh you know, shouted out, What's the likelihood that the very first one is going to be a winner, right? <laughs> and yet, and yet, our our brains latch onto that first idea so easily, right? Yeah. You know, we just say, "Oh, well, that was the first one," and just out of sheer cognitive laziness, we're like, "That's what I'm going with." Right. And there's so many biases and so many heuristics that we have as people, right? It's it's part of our human nature that that happens. And even though you and I know this stuff, we we understand it. I fall myself <laughs> yeah, falling yes. into the trap all the time. Uh, for instance, I was just reading on the behavioral scientists uh, site uh, uh, some research that they did on Head Start. And I had always believed Head Start had all this research and all the stuff done to it. And they were actually saying, you know, of the billions of dollars that we've sent or spent on that, that over the years, the long-term impact of Head Start is negligible, if anything. And so for listeners that aren't familiar with Head Start, Kurt, give, give us a... Head Start a... is an uh, a early childhood development uh, preschool type approach, usually used for underserved or uh, low-income people yeah. uh, that they can send their children to a, to a preschool. It's government-sponsored. It, government it was a federal government design. Yep, and, and states have run with it. Uh, and what they, you know, and I had, had made the assumption, and I, you know, would argue with some of my right-wing friends about this, uh, really without having any background or any knowledge about the effectiveness of it, uh, until I read this. So hopefully I did get some facts and figures in, in between, and now I have a, a, a more different informed. viewpoint. Uh, a a more the, accurate view. A more accurate yeah. viewpoint. Yes. Well, and speaking of which, I liked uh, how Cal talked about how changing other people's minds really kind of boiled down to these three things, right? The tone that you use. You need to use a civil tone uh, to be dispassionate, right? To, to, to actually kind of pull the passion back is a better way of changing someone else's mind. And of course, use data, mm -hmm. use accurate data, uh, not, you know, fake news data. <laughs> but fake news data actually works really well 
to change, change somebody's mind, yes, right? It does. The, yes, it does. The research that just came out where uh, fake news travels six times faster on the oh internet than, than actual real news. And, you know, some of the discussion around that were because of the way that fake news, its vividness, and typically it's controversial and has some components that uh, grab onto those emotions, which are those things that get people to share it. So Yeah. yeah. But to your point, I liked Cal's components about being uh, those three components. And he also talked about using the Socratic method and questioning and, and using somebody's own answers to really get them to think about how do they really believe and are there ways that you can point out the discrepancies in one answer to another answer to another answer. So I was overall just uh, amazed at this idea that we're having this conversation with the guy who is in his early 20s, uh, and we're talking about the Socratic method, uh, and he sounds like a university scholar. Yes. You know, that, <laughs> that he has this this uh, wisdom about himself that is, and, and, and uh, calm demeanor that was just remarkable. I really, really enjoyed the, the discussion. Yeah, he had uh, insights that you would attribute to somebody much older uh, mm-hmm. and with many more years experience. And so I give him all the kudos in the world because I think that's really, really there. I am interested to, to think about, though, is, is that method of changing people's minds, is that more relevant or more applicable in the online setting of his Reddit subgroup yeah. than potentially in a one-on-one conversation? That is a really interesting question because it seems like he was only referencing the experience in Reddit, mm-hmm. right? In the change my view environment. Right. And not really what it's like to be in debate with someone. Although the Fisking model uh, mm-hmm. is a is a it sounds like a debating model that that that, that could apply in in human to human interaction, yeah, face to face. Well and again to that Fisking model, you know, that the the uh, you know point to point dialogue around each and every point. I, I do see that that is probably a, a way that we tend to fall into, right? We fall into that that method of debate. But I don't think that, as he said, it's not always the most appropriate one because no. you're missing the narrative. You're missing the story. And that's where I also think some of the dispassionate component, right? I think maybe there's an element of passion that you really ought to have uh, to try to get somebody to change their viewpoint. Um, I don't know, though. I, again, this is where I have an opinion, uh, but I don't have the facts and figures to really you know, prove it. Uh, and so I but don't our, know if I have an accurate end opinion on Right, that. and our lazy minds just say, well, it's okay for me to have this opinion, regardless of how I got to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that Cal's comment of, it's okay to not have a view on everything. Oh, yes. Like, we don't have to have a view. It's okay to not have a view. How can you not have a view in today's world? You have to have a view, no matter if you know nothing about it. You know, yeah. what, what's your view on, you know, water rights on Mars? Yeah, I, and I would I would espouse something, right? Yes, I, I could I could riff on that without even think. Without I don't even know if there is water on Mars. <laughs> 
But I could, I could, I would, I could tell you, you know, it's important for us to be thinking about this, um, <laughs> and certainly the government shouldn't be involved or should be involved, and you know, we could develop a narrative around it. We, we, and we do, right? Yeah. We, we automatically, and I think that's part of the human nature of we have to feel in control. The that sense of of control, and when we don't have an opinion, it's kind of you're out of control. Oh, what? Okay, so that is worth a podcast right there. Yeah. Just on our perceptions of ourselves in perceived control versus real control. Yeah. 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 Because if you if you're open to uh, having no opinion, then uh, who's to say that you're going to be swayed by whichever wind comes? And I. I don't know. There's a lot to there's a lot to probably dissect in that. That's an interesting thing because in a public forum, saying I don't have an opinion on this could mean I'm whimsical and I don't and I don't really have any convictions. However, it could also say I'm smart enough to know that I'm just not informed enough to really have a, a view. Yeah, the the Dunning Kruger effect, right? Yes. The, yes. Well done. I, I am. I, I know myself well enough to know that I don't know. Yes. So, yeah. so I will yeah. be much more readily uh, stating that I don't have an opinion on things from this point forward. Well, and the Dunning-Kruger effect is also the opposite side where someone who is not informed is easily, is comfortable with the idea of adopting an opinion on it. Exactly. Um, I, I wanted to call attention to uh, something that I, I really love about uh, Cal's comments uh, when we were talking about books. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a big fan of Joe uh, Rogan. Great. Uh, but The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was, that, of course, that sums up Cal right there. This whole idea of, of, of Jonathan Haidt going after how, the, the question, how do smart people have completely divergent views on things? Mm-hmm. And this of course, plays into exactly what Change My View is all about. Uh, but I loved, I loved that part of our discussion as well. Yeah, I thought it was, it was right on, and it is uh, on my to-read list now. Yeah, so, yeah. So there you go. I, I could have brought a copy over no. <laughs> to our behavioral group studio. Yes, the beautiful <laughs> studios at uh, Pleasant Avenue. Yeah. Um, what did you think about his musical taste? Well, first of all, it surprised me that he would go to Elvis Costello was a delight for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of Elvis as, as well. And uh, you are uh, to, to some degree, right? You're yes, I am. Elvis. I, I, I uh, had one album of his, but, you know, Brilliant Mistake and Indoor Fireworks are two of my favorite songs yeah, that great are stuff. on my, my playlist. Okay, so what else is on your playlist? What else musically is, is coming to mind these days? So I, I, I actually wanted to switch this this, no! this question around. Okay. No, no, it, it, it's still around music. Okay, It's All still right. around music. But, you know, there's there's lots of bands that, I, you know, I have a very eclectic mix. But mm-hmm. I was going to, to, to take this and, and look at it from, and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but favorite concert or oh. concerts of all time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I have my top five list. Okay. Um, and can you, I, I will, you've, you've, we've known each other long enough. We've talked about music enough. Do you have a, a guess as to 
what might be my favorite concert of all time? I would tell you it's actually a stadium concert, which is is, is of the only of the my top five is the only one. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so I would guess Journey. <laughs> that was cruel. That was cruel. No, it was not Journey. No. Okay. So uh, a stadium concert. Uh, give me the era. When? When did you? Nineteen eighty-seven. Oh, so kind of in the era. Carver of... Hawkeye Arena, and uh, the Bodines opened up for him. Okay. Now and it was October 29th Wow! So I can remember this terrific memory on this. No, now okay, now I'm now I'm thrown off. I'm I'm overthinking. All it. right, it was you two, Joshua Tree. Oh, oh yes, 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 yes. Of course. And it was just one of those. It was the knew every song that they that they played. We we had horrible seats, but we we the lights went out and we rushed the stage. So we were within you, yeah. fifteen feet of the stage on the first level of, wow. of bleachers um and it was just absolutely a fantastic and i still to this day you know have have the memory of of watching the edge you know up close oh, yeah. and playing his guitar and bono out there isn't know, that terrific how making experiences his statements work? of you know bullet the blue sky and that was just a wow. pretty amazing concert so there you go so and we can go okay. into the top five of my other concerts at another one of these podcasts. Okay, so I think, um, boy, and, and I've I've been fortunate to see some really good live music over the years, uh, as well. But I think my favorite concert was the first one that I went to, and this was the summer of 1972. So I was 11 years old, so you don't have to do the math. You don't have to try to figure that out. I'm, I'm 57 years old. Uh, and I, I was learning how to play guitar okay. and acoustic guitar. And one of my favorite groups at the time was a group called America. Oh, yeah. And they were, they were not coming to the town that I lived in, uh, which was St. Louis, uh, but they were coming close by to Edwardsville, Illinois, okay. to an outdoor amphitheater. And there was this uh, young scrawny guy named Jackson Brown that was opening for them, and I and I, my recollection <laughs> is that uh, I was aware of Doctor My Eyes, which was Jackson yeah. Brown's first hit, had just been released, and was like, okay, that's fine. I really wanted to see America, and uh, I'd never been to a concert before. My my at the time my twenty year old brother took me, okay, uh, because I. You know, couldn't drive, and my parents wouldn't let me go to a concert alone. An eleven-year-old? Why? <laughs> well, there those are, were the era where you would probably do that. There anyway. are some things that they did let me do. <laughs> they, they, that might have not been such great ideas, but that's later. That's for another discussion as well. And uh, so we sat on the on the lawn okay. in this amphitheater, and Jackson Brown came out, and his. It was his original band. It was Lee Sklar on bass, Russ Conkle on drums, um, Danny Korchmar on, on, on second guitar, okay. and, and, and of course he had David Lindley with him uh, playing slide. And I was blown away by the experience of live music. And I thought, wow, this, and he did a 45 minute set that I was completely enamored with. And then thinking America is gonna be even better because they were the reason that I was there. 
And regrettably, they were so stoned, they got through three songs and literally <laughs> the, the road manager came onto the stage and, and just actually escorted them off the stage. Oh. It was hugely disappointing. But I became a Jackson Brown fan because of that, that experience. Yeah, I was, I was going to uh, just make a comment that, you know, your first uh, judgment... Uh, oh. <laughs> is usually not, but your first concert might be the most memorable concert. I think there's a there's something actually about the the first concert aspect oh, the, of it. The that first and the last, it. yeah, yeah. And so I think that that's right there. And I almost thought you were gonna go like, uh, I, I America was my favorite band, and they weren't coming, but this other band, American, came, and oh, I was gonna, yeah, you I know, because yeah, no, I had just heard I didn't, the, I didn't fall in love. There with was else. a uh, there was a a post the other day of. Make sure you read the fine print of this gentleman who really wanted to go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And so they weren't coming around him, but they were going somewhere in, in, in Scotland or Ireland. And so he bought a ticket and flew over and he got there and he said, you know, wow, the ticket was A, first off, the ticket was really cheap. And then B, when he got there, it was a really super small venue, and there weren't very many people there, and, and it was the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Uh, who were a oh, bagpipe cover no. band of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, that's I've got stories along those lines as well, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, so. yeah. All right, well, I think that wraps up this uh, episode of the Behavioral Grooves podcast. And thank you, Cal, for taking time. And if you enjoyed this, please uh, go out, Leave a comment uh, and give us five stars. We would really appreciate it. Yeah. Right now, the podcast is being listened to in 42 countries. So we just want to encourage everybody to share this with one or two of your uh, closest friends uh, and uh, let them know that uh, you're having fun listening. So gracias, danke. And all all those other And all the other ones that I can't pronounce. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, and and, uh, we'll see you next time.